Thank you for downloading this podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. You join us as we journey through the book of James. If you find these podcasts helpful and would like to know more about us, please visit our website, citychurchleads.net. Um, there's a line from a song, I think it's a Showtime song, um, you may have heard it, uh, and it's this, um, uh, stupid is as stupid do. Anybody heard that? Stupid is as stupid do. And I, I, I think you, you can flip that around and it kind of picks up the theme of what I want to talk about today. Simply this, faith is as faith do. That, that could be the title for our talk this morning. Faith is as faith do. Um, there's another way of uh, kind of expressing a similar thing. Jesus said at one point, Matthew 11, he said, um, uh, wisdom is known by her children. In other words, whatever you produce will show what's in the, whatever produced it. Um, so that's kind of where we're going. Um, I just, before diving into the scripture, uh, I don't know about you, I've been enjoying being around James over the last few weeks. Uh, he's, um, interesting guy. I don't think, I don't think he would have been that comfortable a bloke to be around. Um, do you know what I mean? Um, I do believe that there was a lot of grace on his life. Uh, he was, he was a man. If, if tradition is correct, uh, the author of this letter, this letter of James to the Jews who'd been dispersed throughout the Roman Empire at that time, um, we understand that he was Jesus' half-brother. So, likelihood is they would have lived in the same home. They'd have grown up together. Um, and, of course, as James himself came to faith, he would have seen and observed Jesus in life at work with this revelation that he was actually the Christ. And so I believe that what we have in James's letter is somehow out of that wealth of the experience of Jesus the man and Jesus the Christ. And so we've got this rather unique kind of window on who Jesus was. When I say um, that James was probably not a comfortable man to be around, for two reasons. One is I get this sense as you read the letter that James had this heightened sense of, how would you put it, that he, what he was after was true religion as against that kind of false stuff which is simply about going through the motion, the form of religion. I, I sense that James had this, when I think about it, he, he got this, he's got this blag detector. Do you know what I mean by that? He can sniff out where there's any whiff of hypocrisy. And uh, I believe that uh, James, the image that came to my mind was this, the, you know the Large Hadron Collider? This, this huge circular tunnel they built under the Alps, I don't know, it's about 27 miles in circumference or something crazy like that, where they blast atomic particles around this thing at approaching the speed of light. And what they're trying to do is find the, 
you know, the Higgs boson, and I think they found about three of, I don't know, anyway. But I have the sense that James has got a Blagg detector, something like the size of the Large Hadron Collider. You know, if it's there, he will find it. So, on, on the one hand, you've got this, this guy who, who is absolutely after truth. He's after what's authentic about this life of God. And of course, what he has is he's got this standard. He's got this, his, his life of experience of the Christ. He knows what is true because he's lived with it. And the other thing I, I get the sense from reading through James is that he is absolutely passionate about this extreme, radical discipleship. That um, if, you, if you read through the letter, it's full of these kind of contrasts, isn't it? You know, um, every, every chapter's got something in it where, you know, where he's, he's saying there's true religion and then there's false religion. He's talking about things like, yeah, I think it was uh, Stewie, wasn't he, last week? Love versus favoritism. You know, this thing about partiality. Chapter 3, he's got this thing about praise versus cursing. You know, and he's, he's really, what he's doing, and I like this about James, he's actually, he's removing all the middle ground. He's saying, look, this life is about a life of extreme extreme, authentic, radical discipleship. What he's doing, he, in the mind of his hearers, he's saying, look, there is nowhere to hide. There is no grey area. It's either this or it's this. In your life, it's either friendship with the, with the world or it's friendship with God. You choose, but don't pretend you can mix the two. I like that about him. He's saying this is really, really clear. So, well, you know, as uh, being around him, I kind of get this feeling that I have a friend. And I remember being in a meeting of church leaders one time with this friend of mine. And although all the guys were sitting down, on the inside, they were all standing to attention. Because they knew that this this guy I was with, they knew that he had a nose like that. He, he could sniff out where there was anything that was not, you know, not lining up. I tell you, <laughs> it's one of those kind of experiences you remember. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's like that, isn't he? He kind of comes in and he just exposes all that stuff. You think, no, actually, God, you know me. You know my heart. But thank you for grace. And that's always the purpose of God, isn't it? He will expose the inauthentic in order to help us into a place of life and reality. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. He is the truth. He is the reality. You know, and that's what James is after throughout this letter. And in reading the letter, I kind of I see it a bit like this that what he's doing is he's kind of setting out what it is. How, how to live a life that is one of this kind of discipleship. So let me see if this kind of registers for you. To teach people wisdom and discipline. To live disciplined and successful lives. To help them do what is right, just and fair. 
Does that feel like it kind of describes James's letter? In case you don't recognize it, that's Proverbs chapter 1, verse 2. He's kind of bringing this heavenly wisdom that he talks about in chapter 3. You know, there's a, a wisdom that fills out this letter that is about simply helping us to live the kind of life that measures up to what Jesus has set for our standard. Okay, um, now I'm going to read from the, uh, the unauthorized version of the Bible here. Sometimes uh, the passage I want to read is um, James's letter, second chapter, uh, verse 14 through to 26. And I guarantee you will not find this in any of your Bibles or any of your electronic devices because it's not there. And you know why? Um, sometimes I find that it helps me to read the Scripture and as a way of getting to understand it, I will try and put it into my own words. You know, actually write it down. And it forces me to think, what is this actually saying? So what you're getting now is my attempt at trying to understand this for myself, okay? So just read with, or listen to me or read, follow it on your, in your Bible. What good is it, church, if someone says, I've got faith, if, he's nothing, if he has nothing to show for it, is that saving faith? If one of your number lacks food or clothing and one of you says, bless you, be warm and full, without providing for their bodily needs, what on earth is the good of that? So, faith that doesn't produce anything is lifeless and empty. What about this? Someone says, hey, you're a faith man. But me, I'm an action man. If you can prove to me you've got faith without action, I'll do the opposite. I'll show you the reality of my faith through the things I do. Is he right? Don't be fooled into thinking that merely believing there's a God is enough. The demons do that and they're terrified. Can't you see, you fool? Believing is not enough, not unless it results in faith-filled action. Tell me if Abraham was accepted by God when he offered up his son Isaac to be sacrificed. His trust in God had to be fully extended for him to do that. And as a result, his faith was made complete. That's how it was, as the scripture says, that Abraham put his full confidence in God and God accepted him calling him my friend. So, isn't it obvious? Someone is restored to God when their actions show their faith to be genuine. And it was just the same for Rahab, the Jericho prostitute. Her faith went into action when she helped those helpless spies and got them out of a serious hole. If you separate body and spirit you end up with a corpse. Separate faith and action, you get the same thing, a hollow shell. He doesn't mince his words, does he? The point, quite simply, is this, that faith without action is useless. And he gives these, uh, yeah, I, it's gross, isn't it, that image of, it's, it's a corpse, it's, you know, it smells. Do you see what I mean about he's not a comfortable guy to be around? 
probably. And then he gives these uh, two Old Testament examples. First of all, Abraham. Um, now, we have to bear in mind this. You know the story, don't you, how God instructed him to sacrifice his son, the son through whom God had promised that he would fill the earth. And now God is making this outrageous uh, demand that he sacrifices the one object of God's promise. And Abraham did it not to earn God's favor. He wasn't trying to prove anything. He wasn't trying to put himself in God's good books. He was simply doing it because he believed that this is what God required of him. And when you think about what that meant for him, he was giving up his heart. This son of his, this, this desire that he'd held on to for decades, he was now prepared to offer that up to God. His heart, his, his very life, his future was wrapped up in this boy. And yet he was prepared to give it up in response to God's unreasonable demand. Amazing, isn't it? But that was Abraham's faith in action. And then he uses uh, the example of uh, Rahab. I always think this is a curious one because she only kind of appears in that little passage there in Joshua. How she uh, protected the spies. But think about the, the context of this. They were very, very vulnerable. Remember, they, they'd come into the city to suss out what was going on. If they had been caught, that would have been curtains. But what she does, uh, they themselves weren't able to, to help themselves. They couldn't do anything. But what she does, she helps them in their exposed place, in their vulnerability, and she makes a way out for them. Interesting choice, isn't it? So what we're seeing from this is that faith and deeds work together. Uh, did their, God, their deeds make them right with God? No. But as the outworking of their faith, their faith was confirmed as real by what they did. It's quite a simple message, isn't it, really? And it, it, just, it doesn't leave you room for doubt. It doesn't leave that kind of grey, fuzzy middle ground. Um, if you have faith, it will be known by its children. I want to develop this on a little bit because if we simply talk about faith and actions, it can feel, if we're not careful, just a little bit sterile. It can be just... And I'm not... Please understand, I do believe there is a place in Scripture just for sheer, naked obedience. Whether it involves the warm, fuzzy feelings or the emotions or anything like that. Just sheer, naked obedience. What has God said? What am I going to do? But I do believe the Scripture helps us. And I think the pattern is there for us in Jesus' own life. Remember in Acts 10, 38, this is when Peter is speaking in Cornelius' house to the assembled company. And he says this to them. He says, you know how... God anointed him, that is to say, Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 
So our pattern is this, that Jesus was fulfilling this commission. Here he was expressing the nature of the kingdom by going around doing good. Here he was going around healing, delivering those who were oppressed by the devil. Why? Because God was with him. And there's more. Not only was God with him, but there was something else that was operating in his life. If we, uh, I'll just, I'm not going to ask you to turn to it, but um, there's a discussion that goes on in, in Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, where he's really coming against the, um, those who think that there is some way of being able to uh, curry favor with God through religious practices. And he says, forget it. You know, it's not about circumcision, it's not about uncircumcision, it's not about what you do at all. He th and then he says this, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And I want to tie those things together. Where James is talking about faith in action, you know, faith is what faith do. This is the heart of it. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself, putting itself out there through love. So love is what, if you like, sums up faith in action. You can find it in other parts of uh, the New Testament. Paul says this, he says, the goal of our instruction, this is to Timothy, the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So he said, this is why I'm talking to you. You so that love might produce, and it comes from this source, pure heart, good conscience, and a sincere faith. And when he's talking about his own experience, he, he says that the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with... I love this, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So what, what James is pulling through here is, is that amazing resource of faith and love that is in the Lord Jesus that then finds its way out through us, true disciples. As we just put it into action, it is faith expressing itself. Through love. I was listening to somebody just this, this week, and they came out with this phrase, which I thought was really powerful. They said, Every human being is stamped with the words fragile, handle with care. And it struck me that for all that we, the way that we might look at people, that the place that where God has put us, is in a world that is essentially characterized by brokenness. People's lives are fragile. They are messed up. They may be loud and brash, arrogant on the outside, but on the inside is something broken. And that, that, this person was saying, 
is the basis of our moral obligation to every man, woman and child that we meet. That we are handling humanity in its brokenness. And that is exactly what God came to do. He came in the person of the Christ, the Lord Jesus, to redeem man from his lost condition and restore him in his brokenness. Every act, every word, every gesture of love that expresses our faith is doing exactly that. Is part of this great project of God to restore this world that is so broken to that condition of wholeness, the divine shalom, the, the greatness of God's original plan for humanity. So every single little deed, every single little action of faith expressing itself in love is toward that end. Like the spies, they were vulnerable, weren't they? They were in a position where they couldn't help themselves. If you look around you, you see people just like that. They're in a condition they simply cannot help themselves. But Rahab expressed her faith and found them a way through. You may describe it as a simple act of human kindness. Do you know, I think that that is a value that is worth recovering. Kindness, generosity, putting ourselves out for somebody else. Simply doing somebody good for no other reason than God loves them. They don't earn it. It's not like it, you know, I'll give you this if you give me something back. No. Faith expresses itself through love. Got a little object lesson for you here. Let's talk about hair dryers. Here's one I prepared earlier. It's not mine, incidentally. Now then, I want you to, I want you to imagine that this is one of those really high-class, high-value salon models. You know what I'm talking about, Alan, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, of course. So, question. What are, what are some of the features of this really slick... Did you ever used to play with your mum's hairdryer when you were a kid? Pew, pew. Did you ever do that? Yes. I'm glad somebody else did. In my days, it was ray guns. Now it would probably be lasers, but it was ray guns in my day. But so some of the features of this thing, um, you know, it's, it's got a motor, can generate different levels of power and heat. You can have it hot, you can have it cold. If it was one of those fancy glitzy ones, it would have all sorts of gizmos, you know, attachments, you know, the diffusers, the come on, girls, what what else do these things have? I don't know, stuff, you know, all the kind of things that you can kind of stick on the end there and they'll do all sorts of wonderful things with it for your hair probably and uh, you know this these things have been designed so that they you know they handle well there's a nice weight balance just for the sake of the hairdressers they they need a we need the right tools for the job don't we fellas we need the right tools tools are good i've done the research these things ionize particles did you know that you knew that. I'm told by Lisa that GHD are very good. Good hair day. Okay. Now then, 
for the sake, just so this doesn't divide along gender lines, I want you to imagine, fellas, that this is a power drill, okay? And that there are... <laughs> no, not for applying to your head. But just so you don't feel left out, the ladies can imagine the hairdryer, the fellas can imagine a power drill with all the attachments, the weights, the hammer function, you know, all of that sort of stuff. But what, what on earth am I going on about? What tells you whether this is a good hairdryer or not? And I brought this especially for you, Rizom. What tells you whether it's a good hairdryer or not? Does it... Does it do what it says? So I, I could describe for you all the amazing features and benefits of this power instrument. But unless I actually turn it on and do something with it, you'll never know, will you? Isn't that true? It's the performance. It's what it does. Does it dry your hair? Does it give you that body? Uh, sorry, Paul, no hope. Um, but until this thing is actually put into action, it is simply an ornament. True? You can see what I'm talking about, can't you? When we come back to James, love him. Faith is not an ornament. It's a power source. Faith without action is as much use as a corpse and frankly smells awful. Punchy, isn't it, this? This is what James is saying. Faith in action is what the Bible calls love. And God calls us to put our faith into action, stretching its limits like Abraham did, so that he could inherit the promises and so that we can, along with him, receive all that God had planned for us, but in the process to be part of this great project to restore humanity to what God originally intended. That requires that you and I put faith into action. Yeah? I'm going to suggest we just do something to kind of help us connect with this. I mean, you can take this away. You'll probably remember the hairdryer rather than anything I've said. Um, but to help us just kind of connect with this, I want us just to take a moment. And this, this really is the kind of, this is the to-do point. Like the hairdryer, turn your faith on. Turn your faith on. Now that's too general to say, oh, what do I do with that then? Well, I'm, I want to try and help you. I want you, just for briefly, just to think about, first of all, just, just focus for a moment. You can close your eyes, actually. That might help you. Ask yourself, what situation did I, do I know of? Or who is God bringing to my attention so that I can do them good? What situation do I know of? Or who is God bringing to my attention that I can do them good? Just think. Are you all there? Now I want you, you can say this out loud, if you wish, or you can say it in your heart. I am an overcomer. I am 
an overcomer. Think about that situation or that person. Ask yourself, what will it demand of me in terms of faith? What will I need to push through in order to make it happen? What's the, what's the barrier that I'm facing? What's the, the obstacle? What, what is resisting that thing happening that I'm looking for? And then speak to that thing and say, I am an overcomer. So you thought about a situation, you thought about a person, you thought about what might, what might the cost be, what, might, what you, might you need to have to press through in order to get there. Now, if possible, I want you to actively, consciously set yourself a time, an opportunity when you're actually going to follow through with what is in your heart right now.